Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy D. Wilson. And recently, there's been a mild trend going on on social media, thanks to a post on Boing Boing, um, about Felicia the Ferret, who worked at the National Accelerator Laboratory. And it's a really fun story involving some very creative thinking um, on the part of some people that were trying to solve some problems. But the more I read about it and that, that facility, the more that I realized that this is one of those cool moments where science and animals meet and it's not horrible and scary and there aren't uh, icky experiments. Right. Uh, which is hooray. Uh, so Felicia was the kickoff, but it's really sort of particle physics and animals meeting and how that happens. Yes. In very unique scenario. In the 1970s. Uh-huh. The Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory, which is referred to as Fermilab for short, is a U.S. Department of Energy lab that's operated by the university's research association, and it's located in Batavia, Illinois. It's not far from Chicago. And it's on a site that's uh, 6,800 acres, which if you go by hectares, that's about 2,800. Uh, and the lab opened up in the late 1960s to address a 1963 Atomic Energy Commission recommendation for the U.S. to develop a facility for nuclear physics research. And since that time, Fermilab has built several particle accelerators to conduct that research. And they've really become a place where people from all over the world come and study and work. Uh, and it, you know, continues today. Yes, as of early 2013, Fermilab produces the world's most intense beam of neutrinos. The facility employs about 2,000 people, and the scientists who work there research dark matter, dark energy, and the as-yet-unexplained phenomena of the universe. But in those early days, they were focusing on getting the lab up and running. And of course, building a particle accelerator is fairly serious business. It's not something you just kind of throw together. Uh, there are many challenges and very exacting specifications that have to be met for everything to work perfectly. Uh, it is no good for subatomic particles traveling through vacuum pipes to encounter a whole bunch of dust and debris along the way. But cleaning out the pipes used to construct the network that would eventually carry these particles into atom-smashing collisions was a challenge. They were assembling a four-mile course designed to carry a beam of energy around it 70,000 times in 1.6 seconds. And this challenge of cleanliness was one that was met with a unique solution, thanks to Robert Sheldon, who was a British scientist that was working at Fermilab at the time. Originally a chemist, Robert Sheldon, born November 2nd, 1933, was a man who could innovate and think out of the box. He was known for all kinds of off-the-wall ideas at Fermilab, including one which involved the construction of panels for a geodesic dome that was being built for it in 1971 as part of the National Accelerator Laboratory's bubble chamber building. And along with Hank Hinterberger, also from the National Accelerator Lab, um, he worked in the technical services group, Sheldon pitched this idea of using recycled garbage, specifically aluminum soda and beer cans, to assemble these panels for the bubble chamber building. And once the cans were collected, the tops and bottoms would be cut off, and then they would be stood together, honeycomb style, and then sandwiched between layers of glass-reinforced fiber plastic sheets. So this is really groundbreaking in terms of, like, building a scientific structure. Fermilab collected cans from employees and the community for the project. And by late July of 1971, the panels were complete. 
More than a decade after they went into place, in 1982, they were covered with copper to address leaking issues that had developed over the years. So what does all this have to do with the ferrets? Uh, well, Robert Sheldon thought out of the box when it came to cleaning out those pipes for the construction of the particle accelerator as well. So in the second half of 1971, when they had lots of pipes to clean and no easy way to do so, he had a bolt of inspiration. Sheldon recalled poachers in Britain running ferrets into rabbit burrows on English estates to retrieve bunnies. Uh, because ferrets were silent, especially when compared to firearms, estate owners wouldn't even know that their game was being stolen. First, he made contact with the Brookfield Zoo to search for a ferret for this project. And then Felicia, as she came to be known, was acquired from a wild game and fur farm in Gaylord, Minnesota, for the sum of $35. Because the spaces that needed cleaning were sometimes very small, they asked for the smallest ferret possible. Felicia was only about 15 inches long and about 4 inches tall when standing on all fours, as opposed to raising up on her back legs, as sometimes ferrets do. In an interview with the Chicago Sun-Times in September of 1971, Walter Pelzarski, a Fermilab mechanical designer and Felicia's boss, said, quote, Felicia is ideal for the work. The ferret is an animal filled with curiosity and seeks out holes in burrows. Its instinct is to find out what's at the other end of a burrow or, for that matter, a tube or a pipe. Felicia's diet was similar to what mink would be fed on fur farms. You won't even get into animals raised for fur. That's a whole other loaded discussion. Yes. Uh, but it was mainly made up of chicken, liver, raw meat, and fish heads. She also loved hamburger and would get some sometimes as a special treat. And the scientists trained Felicia to travel through these pipes while wearing a small leather collar and a harness. And this collar and harness assembly was attached to a long, lightweight string that would unfurl as Felicia made her way along the lengths of pipe. And she was trained for progressively longer and longer runs, eventually taking on assignments as long as 300 feet, because that was the length of the sections that were needed for assembly of the Maison Lab. So a brief science aside... A meson is any member of a family of subatomic particles composed of a quark and an antiquark. That is thanks to Merriam-Webster. They are unstable, but many of them can last for a, f- a few billionths of a second, and that's long enough for particle accelerators, or that's long enough for particle detectors to find them. You can produce them by colliding high-energy subatomic particles together. So that's what this machine that they were building was going to do. Uh, so they had trained Felicia to go these distances, and once she was through a pipe, workers would attach a swab that was soaked with cleaning fluid to one end of the string. So she was at this point out of the picture. She was done with her part. And then they would pull that through the other side, and it would remove stray steel particles and dust. And only after they were clean in this way could they be welded together. I think as this got kicked around social media, people thought that it was a ferret with like a cleaning duster type thing attached to her behind and she was running through and cleaning as she went, but that really wouldn't be a uh, very feasible for an animal to do because of the weight of it and she was so tiny. And B, uh, it's kind of high enough priority that you want human hands involved in it. Right. So she was basically running the string. She was carrying the string that they would use to pull the cleaner through. Yeah. She became very famous for a brief period in 1971. She was even featured in a Time magazine article in October of that year. But her time in the spotlight wasn't all that long. By December of 1971, Fermilab was ready to retire Felicia. 
And there's actually some slightly nebulous information regarding this retirement. Some sources say that Felicia had always been intended as a temp so that they could keep construction going on the lab while they worked on a long-term solution uh, for the need for pristine pipeworks. But others hint that Felicia didn't work out as intended and that she stopped being really cooperative and they were going to need her to go longer distances than she was actually able to be trained for. In an article in the Aurora Beacon News in September of 1971, she is said to have made three successful 300-foot runs with nine more scheduled. And that certainly sounds like a finite number, like a plan that they had that was definitely temporary. Uh, however, in that very same article, lab technician Don Ritchie is quoted as saying, quote, Felicia has saved me much time and effort. We'll use her over and over again and perhaps in other sections in the lab as time goes by. So it's a little contradictory in terms of what was actually... Uh, the the catalyst of her retirement. In any case, the engineers at Fermilab developed a robotic rig to do the same thing Felicia had been doing, and it ran on compressed air and control wires instead of liver and hamburger meat. It also didn't shed. And so Felicia no longer had to fret about staying tiny, and she could lead a life of leisure. Uh, sadly, however, Felicia's golden years of retirement were really not to be. Uh, on May 18th of 1972, so late late in the following spring, uh, the National Accelerator Lab announced in the Village Crier, which was sort of their internal newsletter, uh, that Felicia had passed away. That Sunday, May 7th, Felicia was at the home of Charles Crows, who worked in the accelerator section of the lab, uh, and he would often care for Felicia in his home from time to time, as would Walter Pulzarski that we mentioned earlier. Uh, and Cor- Crows noticed that Felicia did not seem well on Sunday evening, and he took her to a vet Monday morning. Uh, under the care of veterinary staff, Felicia really rallied, and she seemed much improved by the following Tuesday morning. But, but that Tuesday afternoon, she was found dead when uh, the vet staff came back from lunch. And a necropsy that they performed revealed that she had a ruptured abscess in her intestinal tract, which is not super common for ferrets, although I could not find anything that suggested that her science work contributed to her death. I mean, as anyone who has animals knows, sometimes bizarre things just pop up, so... That was Felicia's passing, but she left a really, really huge mark on science. And she was at that time, like 1971, she really was in tons of papers. Yeah. Uh, because it was so novel to have this high-grade scientific facility being aided by a cute little animal. Yeah. I think people just really glommed onto that story. Well, and especially since uh, ferrets don't have the reputation for being like the, the cleanest and nicest animals. Yeah. I mean, they are, they, they can be a little bitey. And a little dirty. That is make all the ferret people mad. All the ferret people are going to write us nasty letters. But like that's one of the things that you hear is cautionary tales before people adopt ferrets is that yeah they they do tend to take some care and maintenance <laughs> to have them be kind and and delightfully non malodorous in your home. Yeah, I mean, like any animal, I have met great ones and less than great ones. Yes, so, so and a lot of that just has to do with like the experience and knowledge of the person that raises them. Yes, so I think they're awfully cute. They are very cute. I wanted one very badly <laughs> when I was a small child. So this is one of the reasons why I know that that there are things to keep in mind. That was thinking prob- of getting a ferret. Are you sure that wasn't people warding you off? It will just bite you. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actual research into ferrets when I was old enough to do such a thing. Um, anyway, so while Felicia is the most famous animal that they ever had on staff at Fermilab, uh, she's not the only animal they ever worked with. No, it turns out particle physicists really love animals. 
Apparently so. <laughs> and when you have all of that acreage to work with. Yeah, and most of these types of facilities, like those those pipe works and stuff, a lot of them are underground, so they still have all the above-ground space to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so six buffalo were moved into a fenced area, like a pasture, near Laboratory Village in 1969, and their PR would say that, oh, they cut the grass for us. Uh, and that herd was expanded in 1971, and then continued to ex- expand as new calves were born each year. Thanks to the ponds around the site, many birds would stop by during migration and were welcomed and often observed by bird-watching enthusiasts on the staff. Canada geese and numerous duck species were frequent visitors. Herons have been seen during summers, as well as sandpipers and other water birds. In an article in the Village Crier from October 1970, a reported 57 species had been identified. No doubt many more have since then. In 1971... They established a Canada geese flock, beginning with five males and five females. At the time, the species was considered relatively rare. Yeah, and that's um, Canadensis maxima, which is the giant Canada goose, which is a little bit different. It has since rallied in its numbers, uh, going by my quick research. So they probably helped with that. Uh, in 1977, the um, Fermilab group hosted their first National Audubon bird count, and they did several more after that where... If you don't know what that is, uh, bird watchers and bird experts will come and they will listen and visually get identification on birds and they'll count them all. And it's a way that they monitor uh, species migration patterns and sort of the health and robustness of a species. In late 1973, Mr. and Mrs. James Bannister of St. Charles, Illinois, gave the National Accelerator Lab the gift of a small herd of Scottish Highland cattle. The cattle had been hand-raised by the banisters and allegedly even responded to basic commands and were very gentle and loving. The herd was given a 20-acre pasture to graze on and was retained by the lab as a registered stock herd until 1977 when it moved to the Brookfield Zoo. Yeah, that's an interesting story because kind of like what happened with the banisters, they started with a few and they were so careful with them and really raised them almost like pets. Uh, they really flourished. And then so they, they moved to the spot at the accelerator lab and then they realized they really did not have the ability to care for them the, much the way the banisters had kind of hit their limit of what they could do. Uh, they did, so they moved to the Brookfield Zoo for more specialized care. Uh, and swans, barn owls, deer, butterflies, and even coyotes uh, have found haven on Fermilab's land throughout the years. They actually have an entire page on their site that's just about like the wildlife that visits them and the various animals that they've kept through the years. As for Felicia's legacy... Not only was she very adorable and extremely helpful in her brief time at the facility, it's estimated that she saved them thousands of dollars with her runs through the tubes. Yeah, they could keep construction going and they didn't have that expense hemorrhage that happens with big construction projects of a specialized nature where waiting actually costs you money while you solve problems. Yes. So she was really doing quite, even though it seems like she didn't do that much, she did, you know, a finite number of these runs cleaning out tubes prior to their uh, welding assembly. That was time that they would have just sat there on their hands paying people to like... To do nothing. No, no, keep those welders ready just in case. Uh, So yeah, she really did do a, a great deal for science and again a great deal for uh ferret ambassadorship yes obviously it didn't make it all the way to me <laughs> i do like ferrets i like many animals 
Uh, me too. I love them all. I'm crazy animal lady. But I thought it was really cool. Initially, I was like, oh, it'd be cool to do an episode on Felicia. And then as I read more and more about the facility, I realized, like, they really have a whole animal connection. Mm-hmm. And they do have a mindset of, like, giving back to the environment and, you know, furthering species that need assistance. And it's kind of awesome. So that's... uh Fermilab and their love of animals. Yes. I do like that it's a science story with animals that does not involve, like... No unsettling experiments or torture of any kind. No dogs in space to make everyone cry. No, No, it's good. No crying. Do you also have some listener mail? I do. Uh, This comes to us from our listener page. And she says, Hi, Tracy and Holly. I was just listening to the podcast on the Phoenician alphabet and was surprised to hear toward the end that it was sometimes written left to right and then right to left on alternating lines. I'm by no means an expert in this field, but like one of you said, I'd often wondered as a kid why we didn't write that way in English. I think that was you that said. That was me. That just made more sense to, you know, save your eye strain. Uh, and years later, Paige says, when I went to Rapa Nui, which is, of course, Easter Island, I read a bit of trivia that said that their native language used to be written back and forth and was one of the few languages in the world that could be written like that. I'm much more intelligent to hear of another. Thank you. Yes, Rongo Rongo, which is how I think it's pronounced, is indeed a Boostrophedon uh, language, as far as I understand. Mm-hmm. Not really commonly spoken anymore. I think now the people that live on Easter Island speak Spanish as their primary language, and some learn the native language um, later on in life. But I don't know if even the native language still does that when they learn it. Right. I know the old version did, the back and forth lines. Uh, And Paige also sent us a picture of her cat who had just had some facial surgery done and she's got this awesome partial shaved mohawk situation and she looks like a total punk rock cat and she's very, very cute. We've gotten so many great cat pictures. I love it. It's like crazy cat lady heaven in my inbox. I love it. I love it. So even if I don't call out and mention your cat by name, like I'm enjoying all of them. I promise you. It makes the day so fun to start. Yes. Looking at everybody's animals. You can send us other animals, too. I like them all. Got ferrets? Send me pictures. They are so photogenic. Yes. I would much rather get to work and have lots of animal pictures <laughs> than uh, 18 contradictory pronunciations for some <laughs> word that we pronounced in an episode. It happens. We do our best, but it happens. Yep. Uh, if you would like to write to us and share your animal pictures or your thoughts, you can do so at historypodcast at discovery.com. You can also connect with us on Twitter at Missed in History and on Facebook.com slash History Class Stuff. You can find our Tumblr at mistinhistory.tumblr.com and you can look us up on Pinterest as well. Uh, if you would like to learn more about the topic we talked about today, you can go to our website and type in the words particle accelerators in the search bar and you will get the article How Atom Smashers Work, which does indeed mention Fermilab uh, in the article. If you would like to learn about that or really just about anything else your mind can conjure, you can visit our website and that is howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your home, saving you time, money, and hassle. As a Netflix member, you can instantly watch TV episodes and movies streaming directly to your PC... Mac or right to your TV with your Xbox 360, PS3, or Nintendo Wii console, plus Apple devices, Kindle, and Nook. Get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to www.netflix.com and sign up now.